Hi, this is Pastor Curtis Crawford welcoming you to our podcast. At Revive Outreach Church, we're striving to revive an awareness of Christ in our communities through Christ-centered compassion, service, and evangelism. You can learn more about us online at www.reviveoc.org or on Facebook at facebook.com slash church. We hope that you enjoy this message and God bless. Good morning again and welcome to the house of the Lord today. Uh, If you would turn with me in your Bibles, uh, uh, please, to the book of Philippians chapter 1. We're going to finish up chapter 1 today and uh, begin uh, chapter 2. So if you'll turn with me in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 1. We're going to start with verse 27 today. You may be seated as we're going to go through these verse by verse uh, today and hopefully build upon what we've talked about the last couple of weeks. And so, uh, again, for a little background, Paul is writing the church in Philippi. Uh, this is the church that he planted was uh, Silas, where he was, uh, him and Silas were beaten and placed into prison, and where God actually shook the prison and set them free, and the jailer and his whole family was saved. And out of that, this church uh, was birthed and Uh, So Paul is now going to write to them here, starting in verse 27. He's going to start talking about unity uh, within that church. So in verse 27, he says, Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. So there's a lot here in verse 27 that Paul is saying here, and just these uh, these words here uh, that he's <clears throat> used. So the first thing he says is, let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ. He's telling them that their actions, their words, the choices they make would... Uh, glorify God, right, in everything that they say and do, right? And so that uh, Paul is imploring them to walk worthy, right, to walk with integrity, to walk in character uh, with everything as it relates to the relationship with Christ and as they navigate life. Why? Because people are watching. God is watching and Paul is imploring his readers to make sure that they understand that the world is watching. They're watching every choice, every decision, every word. They're listening to every word that we speak. And we got to make sure that we are honoring God with all of those things. And I know that uh, I've uh, preached quite a bit on this here lately. But, you know, I'm just going where the Bible is leading. And, you know, the fact that, you know, we have a, an issue in our church, uh, in the body of Christ in general, with hypocrisy. Folks that are one way on Sundays or when they're with the brothers and sisters in Christ, but they are completely different when they are away. Right? Uh, and see, that comes down to integrity. Integrity is who you are when nobody else is around. Integrity is putting the correct time on your time card, even though you know no one's going to notice. 
Integrity is only taking your allotted lunch break, right? Even though you know no one's going to pay attention if you're 45, do 45 minutes to an hour when you're only supposed to have 30. Integrity, right, is making sure that when nobody else is watching, you're still honoring God with your life, your words. It's who you are. Right? We cannot be divided in ourselves. That's why James said, you can't be double-minded. Right. right? You can't, you can't be double-minded. You got to make up your mind. A double-minded person isn't worth anything. They're constantly torn between good and wrong. Right? They're constantly torn between serving God and not serving God. And when you're being torn in half, you can't accomplish anything for God. Let alone just live your life. When you're being torn in half, just living life is difficult. Navigating life is hard. And of course, it, is, it hurts our relationship with God. And so the body of Christ in general needs to do an introspection and, and, and acknowledge that if there are issues with character integrity and integrity to address them. Here's the thing. God will give each of us the opportunity to address those issues in private. But if we don't address them in private, the Bible says what is done in secret will be brought to light. What is done in darkness will have the light shone right on it. I truly believe that when the Holy Spirit convicts each one of us, that God gives us the opportunity to repent, call upon him, and to take a, make a course correction. But when we don't, here's the, the great thing about God is he loves us so much that he will do whatever it takes to make that course correction, even if it means bringing everything to light, right? So that our secrets are now exposed. No one likes what they do in the dark brought to the light, right? No, no one enjoys that. I, I will tell you that even now, I think if we both, if we will all be honest with each other, there's that thing that you hope nobody else knows about you. That, you right? You know what I'm saying? Right? You, you know, you got things that in your life, maybe in your past, right? You don't, you don't want people. They don't need to know that much detail about you, right? We don't like our secrets exposed. What's sad is even in our families and in our husbands and our wives, we've got secrets that we're keeping from them. Things that we're struggling with privately that could be hurting our marriage, that can be hurting our family, that we refuse to deal with, and it causes destruction. Listen, it's like trying to have two drivers, each with their own steering wheel in a car. You're driving one side, God is, supposed, is driving the other, and you're both trying to go your own directions. The only thing that's going to happen is you're going to end up in a crash. It only leads to destruction if you and I try to take control away from God. It is a double-mindedness that cannot exist. And so Paul is saying, be worthy, walk with integrity, don't be double-minded. In fact, the word typically translated integrity means to not be complicated with ulterior motives. When the Bible uses the word integrity, typically the Greek means not to be complicated with ulterior motives. So many of us, we do operate in ulterior motives in our lives. We don't like to acknowledge it. And maybe sometimes it's even done subconsciously, right? But we are operating in such a way that we want something back when we're giving to someone. We're expecting something in return. That's an ulterior motive. Yeah. 
Coming and worshiping God, hoping that he'll answer your prayer next week is an ulterior motive. Reading your Bible, doing your devotions, hoping that'll make him listen to you because you're in pain or you need an answer to prayer, that's an ulterior motive. We are to do those things whether God ever does another thing for us for the rest of our lives. He is to be worshiped and honored. We're to spend time with him whether he ever answers another prayer. Everything that we do for God must be done from a purity of heart. But we're all guilty from time to time. Right? I wish I could stand up here before you and say everything I've ever done in my life was done uh, with perfect integrity, with no ulterior motives, but I'm, I can't. I can't tell you that. I've had times in my life where I taught for the, play, uh, for the praise of men. I studied because I wanted people to see how smart I was. That's ulterior motives. And all of us have those times when we are faced with that. But what Paul says is we're to walk worthy with integrity, free of those ulterior motives, making sure that we know that people are watching and obviously God is watching. And we're to walk worthy of the calling. That Jesus, what, did, what is that? Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins. I didn't deserve his forgiveness. I didn't deserve that. What I deserve is to spend eternity in hell. I am selfish and self-centered and unrighteous on my own. We all are. We are lost. That's the message of the gospel. We have no hope without Christ. And while we are hopeless, we're not helpless. Why? Because of the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ for our sins. He paid the ultimate price then what else is there for me to do but to walk worthy, to live my life of integrity, honoring him? He gave it all. So I owe him my life. As Paul said in the book of Romans, Christ bought us with a price. It uses the word slave. He owns us. He gave his life for us. He bought us. We belong to sin and he bought us and set us free. We owe him our love and our uh, loyalty and our service and walk, uh, walk with integrity our whole lives, right? And so we should walk worthy of that. I think so many times as Christians, I know that I do, anyone that's been a Christian, been involved in, uh, for a long time, we begin to take that gift for granted, right? And we forget in our daily lives, the great sacrifice that Christ made for us. And when we begin to lose sight of the awesomeness of what God did, it will affect the choices that we make. We'll start compromising where we normally wouldn't compromise. All you need is that one little crack to start showing. And the more you hammer on it, the bigger the crack gets. And the enemy knows if he can get us to compromise that much, he can get us to compromise that much. He just got to work on us enough, right? And so part of that is recognizing what Christ did for us and honoring him with our lives and all of our choices, all of our decisions, everything that we do. So he says, walk worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or I am absent, I may hear of your affairs that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. So whether he was there or not, they needed to walk worthy. You ever seen somebody that's only good uh, when you were in school, who the person behaved great when the teacher was in the classroom, but when the teacher left, that was the person throwing spitballs or getting up and being rowdy. But the minute they came back, they sat back down. There were that person that would get, that the teacher leaves uh, and gets up and gets everybody else riled up and then sits down and the rest of the class gets in trouble and they're a perfect little angel. You know what I'm talking about, right? That you've got that person who is great in front of authority, but when authority is absent, they have no self-control. Right? 
And so that's what Paul is saying here. Whether I'm with you or I'm not, make sure you're still living this way. Whether I'm present or absent, it comes down to us in Christ and the Holy Spirit inside of us guiding us and leading us. That authority is present at all times, but the problem is he's not seen with our eyes, so sometimes it's just easy to ignore him. Right? But that Holy, the Holy Spirit, he keeps pricking us and he keeps saying, hey man, something ain't right here. Right? We've got to listen to him. We've got to listen to his voice. We got to uh, uh, recognize it, listen to it, act upon it, right? So whether anyone's around or not, we're still serving God the way that we are supposed to. So whether I'm there or I'm not, you stand fast in one spirit. That means you and I all, if you know Christ as Lord and Savior, you know what happens? The Holy Spirit indwells you. That's what the Bible says. Ephesians, Paul writes that the minute you and I are saved, the Holy Spirit uh, it dwells us. We are sealed by the Holy Spirit. Yes. Immediately, beyond uh, the, the, the gifts of the Spirit, beyond the baptism of the Holy Spirit, any of those things, when you are saved, the Holy Spirit yes. indwells us. Yes. Uh, that is, the Bible says in Ephesians, that is God's seal upon us, that we belong to Him. Yeah. That's His seal that says that we are His children. So if you're in this room and you know Christ is Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. And as a result, that gives us a kinship. Yeah. That should bring us together, not separate us. Right. That should encourage unity and working together and love for one another because we all have something in common. We were lost, but now we're found. We were blind, but now we're see. We don't, we, we're not where we would be if it hadn't been for Christ. And the Holy Spirit, we are God's children, brothers and sisters in Christ. And that should bring love, all the things that come with it. Love and showing others grace and respect for one another, right? Loving everyone. Because we all have the Spirit. Listen, salvation is the great equalizer on this earth. Salvation doesn't care if you're rich or you're poor. It doesn't care what color your skin is. It doesn't care what your edu education level is. It doesn't care about your social status, right? All salvation brings everyone to the foot of the cross. It doesn't matter. The wealthiest and the poor. We're all on equal footing at the foot of the cross. God, it doesn't matter, right? So the thing that makes us all, brings us all together is salvation and the spirit living in us. So whether someone's rich or poor, or whether someone's wealthy or uh, educated or not educated according to the world standards. It doesn't matter. We all are uh, children of God with his spirit living in us. And within the church, we should not discriminate against anyone. No one. Right? We are to accept all children of God. Right? We, we must love and, ex and encourage. Now listen. We don't tolerate sin. Okay, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is people mess up. You mess up, I mess up. We're still to love them, help them, repent, and help them do better. That's what we're called to do, right? If God forgives them, we got to forgive them, right? And we got to help them. We got to take it by the hand. If your brother falls, you're not supposed to walk by him and say, you deserved it. You made a bad decision. Stay down there for a while and grovel. No. We're supposed to take it by the hand, love on them, encourage them, you know, uh, lead them in repentance and help them be restored. That's what we're supposed to do. And it doesn't matter who comes within the doors of the church. 
If they know Christ as Lord and Savior, we are to love them and encourage them and welcome them. That's the way the body's supposed to be. I heard one preacher say that Sunday mornings at 11 is the most segregated hour. And that's not the way it's supposed to be. We're all supposed to, we're all brothers and sisters in Christ. And it doesn't matter before God. Any of the factors that the world puts on importance or value do not matter. Because God sees the heart. So the world's standards don't matter. The only standard that matters is God's standard. So we are to uh, stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. That word striving, the Greek literally means struggling with, with struggling together. Right? Because here's the thing. You and I, as we walk this life, we're all in different places of struggle. If you're not struggling, something's wrong. Right? Part of living and walking the Christian life is struggles. Right? Uh, you know, Jesus said, listen, you're going to have trouble in this world. Take heart. I've overcome the world. We're going to have trouble. There are going to be struggles. But how do you make it through struggles? With Jesus and the helps of your brothers and sisters in Christ. Yeah. Holding each other, uplifting one another, struggling together. Because right, yeah. if you're both struggling, you both encourage each other, you uplift one another, and you hold each other up in prayer and encouragement. Struggling with one another. We're all struggling. So let's struggle together. Encourage each other. Lift each other up. Love on one another. That's how we're supposed to walk in this Christian life. And when we struggle together, that brings unity. Because yeah. here's the thing, folks. To live this Christian life with your brothers and sisters in Christ, the kind of unity that is required and expected by God makes you vulnerable. Yeah. It makes you vulnerable. Because you are now opening up your heart and your life to somebody else who could hurt you. Living and working and being a Christian means sometimes Christians are going to hurt Christians. There, there are wounds that the body inflicts on itself. It happens. Someday I'm going to hurt you on accident and not even know that I did anything wrong. I'm going to say something. I'm not going to shake your hand. I'm going to hurt your feelings, right? Something is going to happen. I've had it happen, right? Not that I intentionally did anything, right? And that happens, that people get hurt. They get their feelings hurt. Right. So but when you open yourself up, you also open yourself up to hurt. But here's the deal. If we will show grace yes. to others, the same grace that was shown to us yes. will make it. Yeah. But the problem is what disturbs you. Listen to me this morning. I'm telling you, this is how the devil destroys unity in a church is it calls people to be selfish and not show grace. The same grace to others has been shown to them. We decide that they don't deserve to be forgiven and forget that we were forgiven and all that we were forgiven of. Or forget the times that we may have spoken idle word and hurt somebody's feelings. Or the times that we did something that someone didn't like. We forget all those and we don't want to show the grace that we've been shown by God. And that is a problem in the church. It's what causes divisions. The inability to show the grace that we've been shown. So that's why we've got to strive together in the spirit and opening ourselves up. Yes, you make yourself vulnerable, but it's also rewarding. Yes. Why? Because with Miss Kim, 
I know that I can call her anytime, day or night, 24 hours a day, and ask her to pray. Because we have that relationship, right? We are, are, are close with one another. She is a praise for me. She intercedes on my behalf. I know that she hears from God. Has Miss Kim ever hurt my feelings? Yep. Have I ever hurt Miss Kim's feelings? Yep. Hey, you didn't have to be so, so, so uh, adding into that. But we've, we have, that comes with relationships. But here's the thing that I know. She loves me and I love her in Christ. And she knows that I would never do anything intentionally to hurt her. Never. And I know that she would never say or do anything to intentionally hurt me. And so I show her grace and she shows me grace. Now there are poison fruit in every basket. And there are people that love strife and disunity and like to stir the pot and like to get people upset. Those people, if you have any discernment, you'll recognize them and you'll be able to say, okay, that person is not where they're supposed to be. They're a troublemaker. I'm not going to let them ruin everything else. And you'll, if you use discernment, if you're running, seeking God, you'll recognize those folks pretty quickly, right? You pray for them, yeah. right? You intercede on their behalf that God will move upon their hearts, but you don't allow them undue influence in your life. There are just some relationships you got to cut off and just pray for them. Yes. I get it. But the vast majority in, in the body find you should have people that you can open yourself up to and love on and they love on you that you can call night or day who will listen to you, be there for you, care for you, that you know that you can trust. And if they accidentally hurt you or even if you have a tiff and you hurt each other on purpose, forgive quickly and get on with walking and living for Christ. Sorry, I, I know I stuck there for a while. I apologize. All right, striving together uh, fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. And not in any way terrified by your adversaries, which is to them a proof of perdition, but to you of salvation and that from God. So Paul says, don't be afraid of those who are attacking you. The Philippian church was facing oppression. They were uh, facing persecution. They were being attacked by the enemy and the enemies of God were persecuting them, imprisoning them, hurting them, taking their possessions, taking their land. The, the enemy was attacking them and they were being oppressed. But Paul says, don't be terrified. Now, I, I don't know about you, but uh, there's a difference to me of being afraid of being terrified, right? Being afraid seems like a lower level, right? You're afraid. It worries you, but you can make through it. With someone holding your hand, you're going to make it through. Terrified is like, I ain't walking through that door. I don't care who goes in front of me. Right? right. Terrified is like heart hurting, heart racing, brain hurting. I ain't moving. Right? You ever? I've had occasion or two in my life where I had a nightmare as a young man or as a child where I would wake up terrified. And like not even move under the covers, right? Like uh, the boogeyman's going to get me as a kid. You know what I mean? Like terrified that if I move, something was going to get me from a nightmare. Terrified is different than being afraid. Terrified. But what Paul says is don't even be terrified when the enemy attacks you. Why? Well, one, all these other things. You have the spirit inside of you and we're unified in Christ. You don't have to be afraid or terrified. Why? One, you have your brothers and sisters in Christ. Two, the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. God lives inside of you. Three, if God stands before you, who can stand against you? 
The Bible says if the enemy comes in like a flood, he'll rise a standard against him. He's our front uh, banner and he's our rear guard. Right? He's all of those things. So I don't have to be afraid because I serve an almighty God who can, in a word, change every circumstance, move mountains, right? He can do all of those things according to his will, his purpose, and his time. So my job is to sit back and trust that God's got it under control. And while I wait and I wait and I wait, I bond with my brothers and sisters in Christ and we uplift each other. So that I keep moving forward in spite of fear, knowing that God's got it. And not only that, but my brothers and sisters in Christ, they're right behind me too. Praying for me, interceding for me, loving on me. Right? And that's how. And so he says, don't be terrified. And when you and I are not terrified by persecution. Now, let me be honest with you. We haven't faced persecution like the Philippian church was facing. They were being imprisoned for believing in Christ. They were having their land stolen from them by the government and by leaders for believing in Christ. They were being beaten for believing in Christ. I don't know about you, but I ain't received a beating yet that I didn't deserve. Right? My mama, right? Like, I haven't, I, I haven't been beaten for the cause of Christ. I have not been imprisoned for the cause of Christ. I've been made fun of. I've had people reject me in relationships, but when it comes down to having my livelihood threatened or my physical flesh threatened in some way, it's never happened to me. Now, maybe you have experienced that, but I believe the vast majority of Christians in the United States have not experienced that, but it's coming. You can see it happening today. Uh, I read an article last week excuse me, this week of a lady who was at a school board meeting and she was speaking out against the sex education that they were giving to 10, and 12 year, 10, 10, 11, and 12-year-olds because it was telling them they could choose their own identity and how to get puberty blockers and to keep it a secret from their parents. She stood up. She said in a school board meeting, absolutely not. This is crazy. That is beyond the scope of what you're supposed to be teaching in school and education. What happened to her was an active campaign to destroy her life. Uh, people uh, from that community wrote letters uh, to the newspaper and the newspaper published them attacking her and saying basically that she deserved to lose her job and she was a threat to the community. She was a realtor and they suggested that she would not sell houses to people that did not live like her and she would not do business with them. And then they also wrote letters to her job and she got fired. When she asked why she was fired, they said it wasn't because of her performance and I quote, we are, don't need to tell you why you were fired, end quote. She lost her, her livelihood, the ability to take care of her family. She was uh, destroyed in her community because she stood up for what was right. It's coming, folks. And the thing is, is that if you and I will stand up for what is right, we will make those who stand up for what is wrong uncomfortable. And when we make them uncomfortable, persecution will occur. And when persecution begins to happen because of us serving Christ, Jesus said they, didn't, they hated me, they're going to hate you too. Uh, they didn't like me, uh, they, they're not going to like you. And so we need to expect it as Christians. We know that it's coming. Our world is changing. And as that persecution ramps up, we need not be terrified or afraid knowing that God is in control. But we're going to have to rely on him and him alone. And when you and I 
do not respond in fear and being terrified to the attacks of the enemy, it makes those who don't know Christ, those who are attacking us go, what's, what is going on here? We attack this person, they fall under pressure. We attack this person, they slink back into the shadows. We attack this person, he gets louder. She gets louder. We attack this person and they, they won't stop. They get more bold and they preach with more authority. They won't stop. Well, that is a judgment of those, right? Of those who are doing it, Paul says here. He's saying, look, it shows that they're bound for perdition, which means hell. Eternal judgment, eternal punishment. And they can't explain why those who accept Christ and know Christ as Lord and Savior can suffer in silence and still promote the gospel of Christ and not turn their backs on him. They don't understand. And that in itself is a testimony to our world that nothing can break us when we are serving Christ, honoring him, putting him first, and when we stand together. When we love one another, when we stand in unity, and it, 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 when we do not, are not terrified by our adversaries, it is a proof to the salvation that we have from God, that we are saved and we're different from everybody else. Right. Our comfort, our joy, our peace doesn't come from worldly things. Right. It comes from our relationship with an almighty, loving, ever-present, right, all-knowing God. That's, right. That's where it comes from. And so I can live my life in spite of persecution. Doesn't mean we're going to enjoy it. Doesn't mean we wouldn't get frustrated. We wouldn't be hurt that we don't have times where we're like, God, why God, why God, why God? But we still hold on and we don't give up and we don't buckle. We keep proclaiming the truth. And when they get loud, we get louder. Proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. Verse 29, for to you, it has been granted on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. Woo, that's a tough verse right there. That word translated granted actually could be translated grace. The Greek word used it there for granted. So what Paul says is, for to you, it is God's grace, right? It is grace granted on the behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer. You ever think about uh, suffering as a gift from God? Because that's what grace means. I, I, I don't particularly look at suffering that way, right? Uh, that suffering is actually a gift from God. But the Bible does teach us that suffering is a gift from God. Why? Paul said, I had a thorn in my flesh. Prayed for God to take it away. God said, nope, my grace is sufficient. Three times he asked God to take away the thorn in his flesh and three times said, my grace is sufficient. Why? Paul says, because in my weakness, by grace, I'm strong. But you don't know how strong you are until you experience struggling and hold on to Christ. You don't get stronger in your walk with Christ to be able to serve him and accomplish the purpose he has Right? Without suffering a little bit. When I was, um, when I was, and you guys, I guess, have heard this story before, but as a teenager up through uh, a young adulthood, I worked in a male house. Uh, and back then, I was much healthier than I am today. Uh, and uh, I hefted pallets and mailbags, 100 pound mailbags, stacked skids, 
did everything. And I mean, I, I, I worked hard. And over, when I first started, I had very baby soft hands, like kind of like they are today, because I don't really do, you know, any manual labor like that today. But they were baby soft. And I remember the first time I got a splinter, it hurt like crazy. You know, bleeding, I had to pulling it out, whining, crying, right? It hurt. I got blisters really bad uh, the first, uh, first uh, several months working there. But over time, every time I got a splinter and every time I got a blister that, blister that broke, guess what? The skin grew over that again. And over time, my hands got tougher and tougher and tougher and tougher to the point where if I got a splinter, I had so much skin built up, I could pull it out and didn't even know I got a splinter. I would find out later in the day when I rubbed on it and it was there and I could pull it out. Blisters, I stopped getting the blisters. And if I did get a blister, it didn't bother me, right? Because I, my hands were becoming callous to deal with the environment that I was working in. Listen, I would have had continued to have baby soft hands unless I was in an environment that required me to work with my hands. The only way I was able to do that work was to be in there doing it and growing as I was doing the work. Had I got my first splutter and said that I quit, to be honest with you, I would not be where I am today because it's that job, honestly, that put me on the trajectory uh, that I'm on today. If I had quit and said, this is too hard for me, I don't want to do this anymore, I'll go back to the daycare, it would have changed my life potentially. Uh, I had to work through the pain. I had to keep going because I wanted something more. In your life and my life, when we first hit that suffering, it hurts. And we get frustrated and we're like, why God, why? But if we will look at it from a biblical, biblical perspective and know that God knows the beginning from the end, he knows how we're going to get from point A to point B. He knows the resort. Uh, he knows uh, uh, what the result is, right? We trust in him. So as we get those bumps and those bruises and those breast blisters and those splinters and all the things that we are dealing with as we are navigating that path and that walk, it makes us stronger. Right? That's why Paul wrote in the book of Romans, chapter 5, that when you and I face tribulation, they produce very specific outcomes. Mm -hmm. Tribulation, and that word translated tribulation, means to be squished in a, a press used for crushing grapes and olives to make oil. Uh, that's not a pleasant process. The grapes get squished all the way down so that you get their juice, or olives get squished all the way down so that you get the, the, the juice to make oil from them. And it's a pressing, it's a crushing. Paul said in Romans 5, when you are being crushed, take heart. Because tribulations produce patience, right? And patience produces hope and our character and character produces hope. What that, does that mean? It means that when I'm suffering, it gives me perseverance, patience to hold on. It also gives, builds my character to make me, uh, who, to change me and make me into the image of Christ. It's making me who God wants me to be, right? Realizing uh, who he is and realizing who I am. And, and in my relationship with him, it's developing my character. And then that character produces hope. What is that hope? Every time that you and I go through pain and suffering and come out the other side, we learn something about God. Uh-oh. Every time you and I struggle and we make it through, we learn something new about God. And that new knowledge about God and our relationship with him, that builds hope to know that if you're ever hungry and you don't have food and God provides you food, well, now you know God as the provider. And if you're ever scared 
and you don't know where what you're going to do, and you lost hope, and then God comes in and he gives you strength, and he gives you hope. Well, now you know God, right, as your protector. You cannot, oh my goodness, you cannot talk about God and call him your protector, call him your provider, if you have not experienced him in that way. Right? I know a lady who used to get up and testify when the church that I was growing up in. And when she testified, she'd testify about how she was so happy she never went through anything. She had not made any bad decisions in her life. And God had blessed her through high school and college and this great family. And she, oh man, I, I didn't do anything wrong and I never faced anything. And she'd get up and testify. And I'll be honest with you, down deep inside, I'd laugh. Because I'm like, I don't want someone testifying uh, like that who's never been through anything. I want somebody to testify of the goodness of God who's gone through something. I want someone who's needed provision to testify how God provided. And I want someone who needed protection to testify how God protected. And I want somebody who was delivered to tell me how that God is a deliverer. That's what I want to hear because it gives me hope to know that when I face someday those things, that I know that the same God who delivered them can deliver me. And the same God that protected them can protect me. And the same God who provided for them can provide for me. Yeah. That's what I want. Listen, I don't want perfect people telling me how great God is. I want the broken. I want the redeemed. I want the hurting. I want the suffering telling me how great God is. That's what I want. I want those who have lived life and gone through some things telling me how great God is. Amen. Those are the people that you want to hear testify. Not judge them because they've gone through some junk. Rejoice that they're no longer who they used to be. Amen. Rejoice. Because someday you may find yourself in that situation. And you could draw from that hope that God helped somebody else or delivered them. He'll do it for you. So know that when you and I struggle and we face persecution and we face circumstances that hurt, that they are a gift from God to grow us and to mold us to the image of Christ. Change that outlook. And no one said it was easy. It is hard. If it was easy, we wouldn't build up what it is that we need to build up to become more like Christ. You just... Go through. But when it's hard, you know what it causes you to do? Get on your knees and pray. Yep. When it's hard, you draw closer to God, not farther away. When it's hard, you lay before him. When you wouldn't normally be watching Netflix or Hulu or something like that, you're laying on your face before God, asking for mercy. Yeah. Making things uncomfortable to get us to move, to change us. To develop us. That's why it's a gift. Not only to believe in him, but to also suffer for his sake. Having the same conflict which you saw in me and now is here, here is, is in me. Now you hear is in me. What Paul is saying there is you saw me suffer for Christ's sake when I was put in prison and beaten, right? And God set us free. You saw me suffer firsthand with your own eyes. And even now, 
you hear about my suffering and my imprisonment. So Paul is saying, guys, I'm suffering and now you're suffering just like I've had to suffer. But wait, there's hope. It's going to be okay. You're going to make it. Right? He's encouraging them, saying, hey, I made it, you'll make it. I made it through all this, you'll make it through all this. You saw it with your own eyes, reminding them how the jail shook and the chains fell off. And all the people that were saved as a result, it's going to be okay. Listen, if you're here today and you're suffering, it's going to be okay. God's got it under control. Don't suffer alone or in silence. You have brothers and sisters in Christ that love you, that care about you, that want to pray for you, that want to intercede on your behalf, that will simply just listen so that you could talk and get it out. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope that you enjoyed it and were blessed by it. Each month, we have people from all over the world who listen to the messages made available. If you've been blessed by this ministry, would you consider making a donation of any amount to help support us as we continue to reach the loss for Christ? Donations can be made online at www.reviveoc.org or by check at Revive Outreach Church, 411 Chatham Heights Road, Suite 101, Fredericksburg, Virginia, 22405. Thank you for your prayers and your continued support. May God richly bless you. Bless you.